The subject of Isaiah 13 is total destruction. The object of destruction is the entire land Babylon or modern Iraq. The time period is the day of the Lord. This week, as we continue our study on prophecies of the Bible, we're going to continue in Isaiah, and we're going to be doing that here in Connecting the Gap right after this. Hey everyone, welcome again to Connecting the Gap. I'm Daniel Moore, your host. Thank you for stopping by for this week once again as we journey our way through the Old Testament. And we are in the major prophets at this time in Isaiah. And as we're just trying to work our way through the Old Testament, as we get closer getting into the New Testament, on to Revelation with Prophecies of the Bible. This is a study by Damon Duck, and I just want to thank you for hanging out with me today. Go to my website, connectingthegap.net. You can also go to my Facebook page, my Twitter, or you can subscribe to my podcast, my blog, uh, my YouTube channel. There's lots of ways there that you can stay connected with us here at Connecting the Gap. And I hope that you uh, will be blessed and learn along with me about God's Word each week as we do our podcast here on Connecting the Gap. And it is uh, around Christmas time. It's hard to believe this year is almost over with. And we're going to be heading into 2022 here pretty soon. And I hope that you guys have had a great blessed year. I know that I have. It's been much better than last year. That's for sure. We're going to pick up this week in Isaiah chapter 13, verses 1 through 22. And we're going to talk a little bit about Iraq. God will bring many nations with the weapons of his wrath from faraway lands to fight against Babylon. When the tribulation period arrives, the land will be made desolate. The universe will experience great cosmic upheavals. Multitudes will die. The city of Babylon will be destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah, and it will never be inhabited by people again. This prophecy calls for a banner or a flag to be raised on a bare hilltop where it can be clearly seen, to summon a great army against Babylon. This army will gather under God's influence and be used to pour out his wrath as he did on Sodom and Gomorrah. Troops from many nations and faraway lands will be assembled during the day of the Lord, that's another name for the tribulation period, to destroy the whole country. People will become helpless and terrified when they see this awesome force gathered against them. Confusion will grip them. They will realize that they are being punished for their sins. The stars will not shine. The sun will be darkened. The moon will give no light. The population will be decimated. A man will be worth more than precious commodities. People will scatter. Those who are captured will be killed. Even children will be killed. Houses will be plundered. Women will be raped. There will be no mercy, no compassion, and no place to hide. The beautiful city of Babylon will be seen burning to the ground. People will never live there again. Prophecy seems to indicate that the land of Babylon, or modern-day Iraq, and the rebuilt city of Babylon will ultimately come under control of the Antichrist. 
There is good reason to believe the city is destined to become the seat of globalism and global religion during the tribulation period. After that, it'll be destroyed forever. And you can read about that in Zechariah 5, 5 through 11. But an amazing fulfillment of prophecy is seen in the fact that Saddam Hussein started rebuilding the ancient city on its base. That was in Zechariah 5.11. About 2,700 years ago, Zechariah said wickedness will build a house in the land of Shinar, or Babylon, on its original foundation. Saddam started it, and the Antichrist will finish it. There are those who say this prophecy refers to the capture of Babylon by the Medes and Persians. But that attack was a two-nation assault by neighboring countries, while this will be a multi-nation assault by enemies from faraway places. It is plainly stated that this prophecy will take place in the day of the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 17, verse 1 through 14, we talk a little bit about Syria and northern Israel. Damascus will be destroyed and its suburbs will be abandoned. Many cities in the northern part of Israel will also be destroyed, and Israel will be greatly weakened. Jews will go hungry, but a remnant of Jews will repent and accept Jesus. Meanwhile, many Syrian cities will be abandoned because they have forgotten God. A number of nations will raise against Israel, but God will rebuke them. It is not hard to find commentators who say this prophecy has been fulfilled, but because Damascus, or the capital of Syria, has been destroyed so many times, there is much doubt about who fulfilled it and when it happened. There are others who believe this has never been fulfilled because Damascus has always been rebuilt and has never ceased to exist as a city. There may have been an initial partial fulfillment, but a greater, more complete fulfillment is yet to come. Thus, we see that Damascus will be permanently destroyed sometime in the future. The cities of Aror, or the suburbs of Syria, will be abandoned. Fortified cities in Ephraim, or northern Israel, will be destroyed. The power of Damascus will be broken, and the cities of Aram, or part of Syria, will disappear. When this happens, the glory of Jacob will diminish, and the Israel will be weakened. Many Jews will have to glean for food, and large cities will be abandoned because the Jews will have forgotten the God of their salvation. As a result, some Jews will abandon their idols and false religions, turn from their sins, and accept Jesus. At that time, nations will rage and threaten Israel, but God will intervene on Israel's behalf and silence the opposing nations. Today, Damascus headquarters about one dozen terrorist command centers. These deadly organizations receive financing and needed technical support from Syria and Iran. They maintain an estimated 10,000 to 15,000 missiles that are aimed at Israel and capable of striking the entire northern territory. They are constantly upgrading their anti-tank weapons and other systems. The threat is so severe that Israelite military experts are predicting weapons of mass destruction will have to be used to stop a terrorist or Syrian attack. The use of nuclear weapons would explain why Damascus will cease from being a city again. Some people have difficulty believing prophecies like this will be fulfilled. They do not understand that defeating the Muslim terrorist will ultimately lead to salvation for many Arabs, the blessing of God upon many Arabs, and ultimately peace between these two warring nations. You can read about that in Isaiah 19, 23-25. Gary Stearman with Prophecy Watchers 
has been quoted. This prophecy calls for the complete destruction of Damascus. Will there be some kind of military exchange between Israel and Syria? Will it destroy parts of both countries? The territory of Ephraim is the heart of Israel from the River Jordan to the Mediterranean Sea. In the days of Israel's original land grant, it extended from just north of Jerusalem northward to the region of Shechem. It would encompass all of today's Samaria, plus more land to the west than north. Put in another way, it is the northern half of the contested West Bank territories. One of Jacob's sons was named Judah. When the nation of Israel divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, the southern kingdom called itself Judah. Another one of Jacob's sons was named Joseph. He had two children named Manasseh and Ephraim. When the nation of Israel divided, the northern kingdom called itself Israel, but there were times it was called Ephraim. Scholars are divided on when this battle will take place. Some think the war between Israel and Syria could break out at any moment while others think this will trigger the battle of Gog and Magog. And they usually place that in the tribulation period. If you're curious about the war of Gog and Magog, you can read about that in Ezekiel 38 and 39. In Isaiah 26, 19-21, there's some encouraging words. It says, Your dead shall live, together with my dead body they shall arise. Awake and sing, You who dwell in dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Come, my people, enter your chambers, and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood, and will no more cover her slain. We as God's people have much to look forward to. Those who have died will not be put in the grave and forgotten. God will remember his people and restore their bodies. Moreover, wickedness won't consume the earth. Jesus will come from heaven to punish the unrighteousness for their sins. Those who have shed the blood of the innocent who cry out to God will be exposed. Isaiah points out several things that are going to happen. Number one, the dead will live. Death is not the end of a person. Number two, their bodies will rise. The resurrection will be a resurrection of the body. Number three, those who dwell in the dust will wake up and rejoice. We will be raptured to heaven. Number four, God's people on earth are warned to seek shelter, go and hide or flee. God's wrath will be poured out on the earth. That's the tribulation period. And the sixth item, God's wrath will be a punishment for sin. This will be a high cost for low living. And the seventh item, the sins of those who have shed blood will be exposed. In other words, secret sins will be revealed. Tim LaHaye was quoted, Deliverance of Christians from the world's greatest period of wrath is a gift of God for his church. It is not something she deserves, but something he gives because he, because he loves his church. Scripture and the love of Christ seem to favor the pre-tribulationist view of the rapture. Among Christians, there are differences of opinion about when the rapture will occur in relation to the tribulation period, but most believe the church will not go through the terrible time. Notice the sequence of events in this passage. The dead will be raised first, that's the rapture. God will pour out his wrath on the earth later, that's the tribulation period. There will be a resurrection of life with four phases and a resurrection of condemnation. The resurrection of this passage refers to phase two, which is the resurrection of the church at the rapture.
that's going to conclude Isaiah as we are continuing our study here on prophecies of the Bible through the major prophets. And now that brings us up to Jeremiah. We're going to go ahead and get started into that this week as well. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 14 through 18, it talks about we will renew our marriage vows. It says, return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. I will take you one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. I will give you shepherds according to my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Then it shall come to pass when you are multiplied and increased in the land in those days, says the Lord, that they will say no more, the ark of the covenant of, of the Lord. It shall not come to mind, nor shall they remember it, nor shall they visit it, nor shall it be made any more. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered to it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. No more shall they follow the dictates of their evil hearts. In those days, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel, and they shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I have given as an inheritance to your fathers." The people in both the northern kingdom, which is Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah, believed they were the people of God, but because they were unfaithful, God compared them to an adulterous wife. This prophecy reminds his faithless or unfaithful people that they have broken their marriage vows or their covenant. It calls upon them to return to their husband, who is God. God assures them that they will be a nation again. He tells them he would prefer to bring them back into the land as a group, but he will choose to bring them back as individuals, one from a city and two from a family. When they return, he will give them faithful shepherds. And in this passage, it means rulers. He will cause them to multiply. They will forget about the Ark of the Covenant. That's a symbol of God's presence on earth and not need it because Lord will sit on his throne in Jerusalem. Gentiles from all nations will go there, honor Jesus, and repent of their sins. The northern kingdom will be united with the southern kingdom, and the two will be one nation again. God compares unfaithful people to an adulterous or unfaithful wife. Adultery violates the Ten Commandments. It is a sin so serious that God said violators must be dealt with in the harshest of manners. They must be put to death. That was stated in Deuteronomy 22, 22-24. John called Satan's coming one-world religious system mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. He said God will cause world leaders to destroy this prostitute. The Jews are currently returning to the land. They are returning not as a nation, but as individuals and families from all over the world. They are returning not to a divided kingdom, but to a united kingdom. But this is just preparation for an ultimate future fulfillment. Not until the millennium will Jesus sit on the throne in Jerusalem and be worshipped by all people. Notice this distinction about two returns. A present wave of Jews is returning in unbelief, but there will be a second wave that will return in belief at the beginning of the millennium. We're going to go ahead and stop it there as we've kind of kicked off Jer- Jeremiah and got started into his book of the Bible as we get into further into the major prophets of the Old Testament. This is a study of the prophecies of the Bible. You're listening to Connecting the Gap. Thank you for joining me. I'm Daniel Moore. This is a study that was put out by Damon Duck, and I'm sharing that with you. 
And uh, if you want to go to my website, connectingthegap.net, you can subscribe to this podcast. Also, my weekly blog and my YouTube channel. Check out my Facebook page and my Twitter. And, of course, keep us in your prayers as we endeavor to keep sharing God's Word here on Connecting the Gap. Well, till next week, hope you guys have a great blessed week. And remember, God's Word never fails us. God's Word has stood the test of time. And through Jesus' death on the cross, He has connected the gap.